0: Welcome to the live stream worship service of Mayflower Church. We are thrilled that you are joining us virtually. I am Reverend Ruth Bell Olson, and together with Reverend Dr. Jonathan White, we are the interim pastoral team here at Mayflower. We are joined this morning by Dr. Julia Brown, our director of music; Scott Bosher, our choir director; Erin Gilbert; Excel Pelfrin and Greg Berry, our cantors. As always, Pat McGuire, our live stream specialist, makes this service viewable. It is November 1st, also known as All Saints Day. Today we will be remembering Mayflower members who have passed away this year as we remember the saints of the faith. We grieve today with the families of Dick Bellows and Mark Shippey, as they mourn the passing of their loved ones. This has truly been a strange year, and there have been deaths and births, trials and joys. We are people of hope, so we look to the future, not with dread, but with the assurance that God is with us, God is for us, and God loves us. We also look to the past at how we have been carried and sustained by this incredible love. As we announced last week, the council had held a special meeting to focus on our COVID response and reopening plan. Unfortunately, because of the current spike in COVID rates in Kent County, the plan is a bit on hold. But look for a letter this week that will be mailed that details the actual plan. And a fun announcement The 49 Up group is hosting a pre-Thanksgiving Zoom happy hour on Saturday, November 21st from 5 to 6. You're welcome to call the office or check the website for more details. And the pastoral search committee is hard at work. And this week we filmed a video about Mayflower to show to potential candidates. Please continue to pray for the person God has already planned to be serving here as our senior pastor. Speaking of the future of Mayflower, we welcome Jonathan to share a special announcement about our stewardship program.
1: I'd like to speak to you this morning about Christian outreach. Before I do, please remember if you've suffered a financial hardship, If your hours have been cut, if your job has been downgraded, if you're unemployed, we ask you to take a sabbatical this year. Let more fortunate people carry the load. One of the things I loved when I retired from the parish and was able to come back to Mayflower was the place that outreach took in our budget. We were giving more than I had ever seen Mayflower give. We were supporting all types of things in our community, in our state, in our nation, and in our world. And because we've had budget restrictions, the first thing to get cut to keep everybody on staff and to keep the building open, the first thing that we cut is outreach. We had been giving up to 15% more, just about $150,000 that has been drastically reduced what we hope to do as we can says hold serve what we hope to do is restore outreach and that we become a beacon in the community so as you are able we're not asking for an increase, as you are able, please maintain your pledge for 2021. Thank you, and may God bless you.
0: Thank you, Jonathan. We have some very special music this morning, and I invite Dr. Julia Brown to come and tell us about it.
2: This morning we celebrate not only All Saints Sunday, but also Founders Sunday. And so you heard variations on the organ on the hymn to Nicaea or Holy, 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 which is our opening hymn. This is a nod to the history of Mayflower as this was the opening hymn at the very first Mayflower service 62 years ago. So I invite you to sing that boldly. Um, when that time comes from your homes and also be listening because I will be weaving more variations of Holy 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 throughout the service and as uh, All Saints Sunday you will hear the quartet singing a Schubert Holy 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 British anthem by William Harris Holy is the True Light Harris was a colleague and friend of Herbert Howells that wonderful harmonist. And so you will hear some of those luscious harmonies from Howell's music also in this brief anthem um, at the offertory moment.
0: And now let us begin our time of worship. Our call to worship this morning is based on text from Revelation chapter 7. All the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, singing, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God, Forever and ever. Come, let us worship like the angels. morning and lift our songs to you. We know you are perfect in power. Help us to use our power for good. You are perfect in your love. May we love like you do. We pray for your glory to shine in the darkness, and we pray for your light. Amen. first scripture reading this morning is from the book of Micah, chapter 3, verses 5 through 12. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against those who put nothing into their mouths. Therefore, it shall be night to you. Without vision, and darkness to you without revelation. The sun shall go down upon the prophets, and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced, and the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Hear this, you rulers of the house of Jacob and chiefs of the house of Israel who abhor justice and pervert all equity, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with wrong. Its rulers give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets give oracles for money. Yet they lean upon the Lord and say, surely the Lord is with us. No harm shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house a wooded height. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading this morning is from Matthew, chapter 23, verses 1 through 12. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. Therefore, do what they teach you and follow it. But do not do as they do, for they do not practice what they teach They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on the shoulders of others, but they themselves are unwilling to lift a finger to move them. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. They love to have the place of honor at banquets and the best seats in the synagogues and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces And to have people call them rabbi. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all students. And call no one your father on earth, for you have one father, the one in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. All who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Will you pray with me? Oh, great love. Many years ago, you called pioneers forward found this church it has been a place where we have been baptized married and buried a place where we have experienced profound joy and a place where we are comforted in tragedy thank you for this church the saints who went before us the saints who worship today and all who are tuned to this streaming service. Open our ears that we may hear and our eyes that we may see. Amen. Chances are, if you were to go out into the community and say, what do you think of Sykes Picot?" You'd get a lot of blank looks. Sykes-Picot. What in the world is that, some people may be thinking. From 1914 to 1918, Europe was engaged in a great war, First World War. The Allies, Britain, France, and Russia, primarily later and. April 1917, the United States opposed the Central Powers, Germany, Austria, and the Ottoman Empire. The Ottoman Empire ruled much of what we call the Middle East today. Britain, who had been active in Egypt since the 18th century, decided that one of the best ways to attack the Ottoman Empire, especially after the failure at Gallipoli, one of the best ways to attack them would be to mobilize the Arabs to move up from the south. The Arabs didn't like the Turks, the Turks didn't like the Arabs. It was a natural way to form an alliance. Lord Kitchener commanding in Cairo sent forth T.E. Lawrence, Lawrence of Arabia, who joined with the Arabs and came back to Kitchener and said, the Arabs will do this if they can have their caliphate restored. To Kitchener, the caliphate meant, hmm, they want to have something like a Catholic church, a pope. So Kitchener said, sure, you fight the Turks with us and we will allow you to have the caliphate, the realm of Islam the House of Islam, Dar al-Islam. He promised this not knowing that he had promised one Muslim nation, one leader, one caliph, and one holy seat in Mecca. Now at the same time, the British Foreign Ministry was interested in getting the United States involved in the war. And it was also interested in satisfying a group of Christians who believed literally that the state of Israel needed to be recreated. That would also appeal to American Jews and American Christian Zionists. So the Foreign Secretary, former Prime Minister Sir Arthur Balfour, promised the European Jews... When the war is over, you can create the state of Israel in the land of Palestine. Oh, that created enthusiasm. But there's a problem with that promise. You can't keep promise one, we'll reestablish the caliphate, and keep promise two. Because promise two included third holiest city in Islam, Al-Quds, or what we call Jerusalem. That didn't matter, because the British made a third promise. This is where Sir Mark Sykes and Francois-Georges Picot come in to be. Representatives of the foreign ministries of each country, said, after this war is over, we'll expel the Ottoman Empire from the Middle East. And here's what we're going to do. And Sykes and Picot drew a line from northern Palestine all the way through to modern Iran. That was the Sykes-Picot line and the Sykes-Picot agreement. The agreement was, France, you get everything north of the line. Britain, you get everything south of the line. Russia was included, but they opted out after the Bolshevik Revolution. When the war was over, the Allies met at Versailles to discuss the post-war world, and Woodrow Wilson was shocked when he saw what Britain and France were doing. He believed we were fighting the war to save democracy. We were fighting the war to end all wars. And what he saw was a continuation of European imperialism. Europeans didn't question that. That was the system. That was the norm. Since the outer world of Europe had been discovered... The white people of Europe had assumed it was their destiny to rule the black and brown peoples of the world. To exploit their countries for the benefit of the mother country. That was just normal. There wasn't anything wrong with that. Wilson came back indignant espousing American exceptionalism. We're the best. We know what to do. We're not like those European imperialists. And at the same time, he segregated the federal workforce because black people shouldn't be working with white people. They can't do the job that white people can do. He championed white supremacy and Protestantism and he vehemently supported the Ku Klux Klan. And the white majority thought very little about that because that was the norm. That was the system. That's the way we behaved. It was the natural order of things. We tend to think of sin in terms of individual choice. We think of sin as an individual moral failing. And the church has backed that up. Traditionally, the church has talked about venial sins, the small sins, and the mortal sins, the big sins, the ones that keep you out of heaven. Uh, If you check the list, by the way, of mortal sins today, you would probably think, well, maybe 90% of those sins don't belong there. Today, what I would like to do is is follow a path that some theologians have followed. They've divided sin into three different categories. Yes, there is personal failings. Some of those personal failings can be extreme. But there's also systemic sin. The sin of the system. The sin of following things just the way they are. And then invading both types of sin is a third type of sin, and that is just outright evil. What I would like to do this morning is to talk about systemic sin, the sin of normality, the sin of accepting things as as they are, the sin of just following the crowd. That's what Micah was talking about in the passage this morning. If you take that passage out of context, you could be tempted to think, oh no, another Old Testament package, smiting and anger, I want the New Testament. Let's put Micah into some historical and literary context. First of all, this is a Hebrew poem. It is written in couplets. Where Micah says one thing and then reinforces it with the very next verse. For example, the Lord says concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against those who put nothing in their mouth, therefore it shall be put to you without vision, and darkness to you without revelation. Point one, reinforced. Point two, reinforced. That's the literary structure of this. And let's look at the historical structure, because this should not be taken out of context. Many of you know that the first king was Saul, and Saul fought to establish a small empire. He was followed by David, who expanded that empire. He had to fight to keep power. But Israel became a fairly minor power along the Mediterranean. That power was consolidated and consumed with wealth when one of David's sons, Solomon, expanded the empire. And while it wasn't the Assyrian Empire, it wouldn't be as the Babylonians would grow later. It certainly was nothing like the Persian Empire. It was a player in the Middle East. But when Solomon died, two of his sons, Rehoboam and Jeroboam, argued with each other about who should be king. And the argument divided the kingdom. The northern kingdom of Israel fell to one king with its capital, Samaria. And the southern kingdom of Judah fell to another king with its capital, Jerusalem. And the Israelites and the people of Judah didn't get along with each other too well, even though they were both. Jewish people. By the 8th century B.C., things were looking bad for the two kingdoms. Though they were divided and they weren't as powerful as they were before, in Nineveh, Assyria was on the ascent. And in 722 B.C., Tiglath-Pileser, Tiglath-Pileser III, the king of Assyria, conquered Samaria and Israel. He then set his sights on Judah. The people of Judah thought quickly, What do you want, Assyria? We want money. Here's money. What else do you want? We want your gold. Here's the gold. What else do you want? We want influence in your country. You have the influence in our country. What else do you want? We want the freedom to bring our standards into your area. You have it. And everybody was relieved. Kind of. What happened is a group of Jewish elites... Made a pact with the Assyrians. The Assyrians came in with their god Asher, with their priests, with their sacred prostitutes, and the prophets and the priests and the leaders of Judah went along with it. That was the norm, that was the system. Judah had survived. Micah looked at that and felt, as we heard this morning, that he was not called by priests or prophets. He was not called by political leaders. He was called by God. And he said to the priests, the prophets, and the political leaders, no, you say peace, but there's no peace. You have bread, and you scorn those who are hungry. You've kept your wealth, but you've paid the Assyrians off with the poor. This is what the Lord God says to you. The Lord God will not let that happen. That places Micah in a bit more logical context. And we can see where today's passage is going. And from the lectionary, the reading from Matthew shows a parallel. Jesus is talking to the people who follow him. Yes, there are some elites, but there are also the poor, the outcast, the lost, the lonely, the aliens, the people who don't know where to turn. The bottom 1%. And Jesus is delivering a polemic. This is not the sweet, gentle Jesus of Sunday school. This is the Jesus of the prophetic tradition. We have to remember that there were several types of Judaism, several sects trying to figure out which direction Judaism was going to go. Jesus was championing a particular version of Judaism. And he said to his followers, look at those people over there. They're rich. They're getting along with the Romans. They're doing all the right things. They have the best seats in the synagogue. They have the best clothes. They say the best prayers. They follow the best liturgy. That is not Judaism. Look at what you do. You have given up everything to follow me. You understand real power. That to be part of God, to be a Jew, you have to be the servant of all. The least of you will be the greatest. You don't want to be like them. They heard Jesus speaking, and they heard that they were in God, and deep inside them, in their soul, part of God was in them. And together, it formed the whole of God. Jesus told them God is love. And they knew that love was within them. And they were within that love. Jesus told them, I have called many. I've called everybody. I've sent, I've sent my messengers out into the streets and said, to the beggars, the poor, the lost, the lonely, come to the feast. And though I called many, few chose to follow me. Jesus must have looked at his followers and said, But you, you few, have chosen to see what you really are. Little children, trusting and loving, children of God. Micah and Jesus were addressing systemic sin. People follow the system, and they were not doing anything wrong. In fact, they might think we're doing something right, not realizing that a system can be based on a false assumption, and a system might not show the Christ that is inside us and the Christ. That is through the cosmos. And so Jesus called people to a deeper religion. He called people into being. He called and calls today His followers into the great I Am. Jesus calls us To be part of a different system as he turns the world upside down. And that can get you in trouble. When eyes are open and ears can hear, you can irritate the people who have made the status quo an idol. It can get you in a lot of trouble. It can even get you crucified. That's something we all might want to think about prayerfully this Tuesday when we cast our ballot. And while we are divided in this church just like we are divided in this country we need to look as Jesus looked and see the people that we disagree with to see beyond their outer self and inside inside their soul where the spark of Christ is creating a holy flame. And that will allow us to move beyond differences. In the name of the Creator, the Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: Your gifts, tithes, and offerings are a blessing to God, a blessing to this church, and a blessing to all we serve. Thank you for giving generously. At this table we are called to remember and we are called to celebrate. We remember the heroes of the faith, those who have gone before us and led the way as faithful disciples. We also acknowledge the saints that walk among us today, those who work to bring reconciliation, restoration, and redemption to a broken and hurting world. Today, we light this candle as a reminder of the saints from our congregation who are no longer with us and have passed into the holy presence of God. We will name each person and also ring the bell in remembrance.
1: Nancy Burson. Barbara. Barbara. Thank you.
0: Let us pray silently. Amen.
1: And now, friends, wherever you're watching us, whatever elements you choose, we ask you to join us in the Holy Eucharist. And if you choose not to use elements... Remember that you are in Christ, and Christ is in you. Simply pray and meditate and join us in this Eucharistic feast. Friends, we come to this table not because we must, but because we are invited. We come to this table because this is Christ's table. It is not the table of Mayflower Congregational Church or Congregationalism, Protestantism, Roman Catholicism, or any other Christian branch. This is God's table. And it is Christ who has issued the invitation. So come from the north, come from the south. Come from the east and come from the west. Man or woman, Gentile or Jew, servant or free, Come to this table. This is the feast of God for the people of God. And so with your people on earth and all the company of the saints in heaven, we praise your name and join
3: you in their everlasting hymn. Amen.
0: Us into your light to spread radiance and joy instead of hopelessness and fear as we approach this table of holy communion let us be aware of how we are complicit in the systems of oppression and division let us also be aware of your unending forgiveness and grace we praise you for this table that it is open to all regardless of where we find ourselves what is in our past or our future, we are invited to partake of this holy meal. So we give you thanks, proclaiming the great mystery of faith. Descend on these elements of bread and wine with your spirit that we may be filled with the power of Christ. Fill all these saints on earth and all the saints gathered with you as all honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forevermore. Amen.
1: Said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Ministering to you now in the name of the Christ, we symbolically share this bread.
0: In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.
1: we give you thanks that you have refreshed and restored us with the gifts of this table at this time of turmoil and division in our land
0: we come to you today in prayer full of emotions election seasons always seem to bring that out in us worry and hope fear and frustration this list could go on and on So today we bow our heads and ask for guidance. Open our ears to hear the groans of creation. Open our eyes to see the needs of others. Open our hearts to make room for empathy. And give us the wisdom to navigate challenging conversations. Give us the patience to disagree with grace. And give us the compassion to make decisions for the greater good. And when all else fails, bring us back to love. Bring our hearts and our hands, our dreams and our hopes, our anger and our frustration, our hurt and our fear, all back to love. With hope we pray. With hope we are sustained. Amen. And now let us all sing together our closing hymn with gratitude. For all the saints that have gone before.
1: This morning, we remember that there is no Christian politics. There are Christians in politics. We are called to a different system. We are called to realize that our true self is not our job. It's not the roles we play. It's not what we project. Our true self is the Christ in us. And nothing you can say, nothing you can do, can cause God to stop loving your true self. So whether you're on top of the world... Or the world is on top of you. Remember the one who created and sustained the world, created and sustained you and always will. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.